Hello, and welcome back to the Spin Cycle Podcast. This is our fourth full episode, and today we're going to be talking about Kourtney Kardashian and Travis Barker's wedding, as well as some other loose items. Uh, I am your host, Kiara McKinney. I'm a media strategist and publicist based in Dallas, Texas, and a gossip fanatic. So one thing I definitely want to point out about the wedding of Kourtney Kardashian and Travis Barker, better known as Kravis on the interwebs, um, is that it was basically sponsored by Dolce & Gabbana. And I think this is really revolutionary because um, we've seen, you know, brides have their wedding dress gifted or um, having like the venue sponsored or something like that. Um, That's pretty typical when it comes to celebrity weddings, but we haven't really seen anything like this before um, where the entire wedding um, literally the entire Kardashian family was decked in Dolce and Gabbana all weekend long. Um, so it's really kind of the first of its kind, and it'll be interesting to see if we see other celebrities follow suit or if there are any like what Royal weddings coming up that may, um, have this sort of sponsored partnership, but I don't know. I, part of me feels like this is going to be kind of a one of a kind, sort of deal, but you know, I could very much be wrong. I, I, the best part about having Dolce and Gabbana host quote unquote, your wedding is that everybody looks incredible. I mean, the pictures are iconic. Um, I personally, I don't love the short wedding dress. It's, it's a little bit odd to me. I'm sure everybody listening has seen pictures. Um, Courtney wore a very short, like bustier, um, sort of dress, but it was very mini. Um, she had a beautiful veil that had, um, Travis's tattoo that's on the top of his head, um, on the back of her veil, which was a really long train. I'm obsessed with it. I personally had a really, um, ornate veil, (laughs) so I'm definitely, a fan of that. The pictures at the altar were incredible. It was very gothic, but still very elegant. Um, I really, it's everything. When I saw the pictures, I was just like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, it was very them. So obviously the outfits were very interesting. Um, Kim wore her hair bleach blonde and long all weekend. Pete was not in attendance because he was performing on his last episode of Saturday Night Live, and we'll get to that later in the episode. Also notably missing from the celebration is Caitlyn Jenner. Um, She confirmed that she was not invited to Courtney's Italy wedding. TMZ reported that she never received an invitation because they don't really see or speak to each other very much. And Caitlin actually spent the weekend in Barcelona to cheer on Jenner racing. Rob Kardashian did receive an invitation, but was also missing from the event primarily because he prefers to stay out of the spotlight. Um, So he just didn't want to go to such a high profile party. 
it's undetermined to me at this point if he attended the civil ceremony at the courthouse. I think it's kind of wild that Caitlin was not invited to any of the celebrations. It makes me kind of sad because as somebody who watched Keeping Up with the Kardashians from the beginning, it was really clear that all of the girls really loved Bruce as he was. Um, But then it seemed like when he started his transition, he really offended Chris, it seems, when she publicly talked bad about her in the media. And that really rubbed all of her daughters the wrong way. Um, Caitlin's biological daughters, Kendall and Kylie, both talked to her. Um, So I think it's very notable that the older three don't, especially because Bruce, I believe, along with Rob, if I'm not mistaken, walked Chloe down the aisle when she married Lamar. Um, and Bruce had been in their life and, and the reason that I'm referencing Bruce and not Caitlin is because it seems like when Caitlin transitioned, she also kind of left their lives. So I'm referencing Bruce because it seems the optics to me seem as though the Kardashians, um, and I mean, literal, the three Courtney, Kim and Chloe Kardashian, um, kind of sever that relationship once Caitlin emerged. So I'm not meaning to misgender or disrespect Caitlin. I'm just kind of specifying timelines here. Um, but Bruce basically raised those three. I believe that he came into their lives when Chloe was like five. So I do think it's really sad and um, telling that she was not there. So I, I'm not sure if I feel worse for Courtney or for Caitlin. I also did not invite, you know, my biological father to my funeral. So I guess that's why <laughs> it kind of struck me and or funeral. Oh my God. I called my wedding a funeral. Um, we'll see if I leave that in. So E! News actually has an article entitled How Much Courtney and Courtney Kardashian and Travis Barker's Wedding Cost. Here's an estimate. So they broke down how much the private jet, the water taxis, um, the hotel, the Splendido, the venue, the Costello Brown, um, all of these things cost, the food, um, the catering, the wedding cakes, the champagne, the open bar, the decor. Um, they had Dolce and Gabbana. They had Dolce and Gabbana table settings, and they estimated that just that alone would be about one hundred and thirty-six thousand dollars, <laughs> which actually was the exact price that Kim and Kanye spent on their flowers for their wedding. So they're kind of estimating that it was probably around that. They also had a private concert. They had DJ Cassidy. um, And the private concert with Andrea Bocelli, um, it says here that booking the singer can cost anywhere between $500,000 and $749,000. $500,000 and $750,000. So, yeah, that's insane. 
So, I mean, I really can't even begin to like fathom this level of wealth. It's almost as this is, it was almost as ridiculous as Paris Hilton's wedding, which brings me to the point that like, I don't understand why these celebrities have an entire weekend full of like actual events. Like I was exhausted after just my rehearsal dinner and my wedding. Like that was enough for me. If I had to do other events on top of that, I probably would have killed myself for real. (laughs) like weddings, even as the bride, like I think weddings are less fun when they're your own. Like it's not fun. It's like, it feels like work almost. Um, the getting married part is awesome. I loved the ceremony part of my wedding and that's the part that I cared about more. Um, but reception wise, I was just like, Oh my God, like I want to, I want to lay down. I want to take a shower. I want to, take these shoes off, like all of that. But basically, um, E! News estimates that on the high end, uh, it probably cost about $3.5 million, which I just can't, I, again, can't wrap my brain around. Um, the average wedding in America for reference costs about $40,000. At least it did a few years ago. Um, inflation factor that in. (laughs) And $40,000 is still a lot of money to spend on a wedding. But I am very curious about Courtney's dress because it's kind of like theatrical and costumey and a lot less bridal. So it wasn't like breathtaking in the same way that some other celebrity brides have looked. Um, One... One bridal look that always stands out to me was Sophie Turner's when she married Joe Jonas. It was actually a very like conservative dress, um, but I I adored it. And um, of course, Haley Bieber's dress was incredible. We've seen some really like stunning bridal looks in the past five years, and I was not disappointed because I thought it was very unique and like the again the veil and the train like is like nothing you've ever seen. But I just would have liked to see her in a floor length gown because like her guests were in floor length dresses and she wore like a very similar, if not the same dress that she wore to the courthouse. So going back to Pete Davidson being absent for his last performance on Saturday Night Live, it's a really big cast shakeup going on over there right now. So In addition to our friend Pete, Big Dick Davidson, we're also having to say goodbye to Kate McKinnon, A.D. Bryant, and Kyle Mooney, which I think is a huge loss for the show. Um, Those are like some of my favorite players right now. Obviously, Kate McKinnon's career is blowing up. Um, so that one is kind of expected. I was actually kind of thinking watching a couple of episodes ago, I was like, she's still on here. Like, what is she doing? She's better than this. <laughs> but, um, I do think that Pete Davidson exiting the show right now kind of supports my theory <laughs> that he and Kim are a PR couple. Um, it seems like, He maybe knew that he was needing to move on or wanting to move on and he needed a boost and he needed to get back in the headlines again um, because he hadn't really been for a little bit. And I know that Pete has done like some projects here and there. He's 
got his King of Staten Island show. He's in, he has a lot of like small side roles in movies too. I forget what that movie is called. It's like um, The Setup, I think is what it's called on Netflix. And he plays um, a gay roommate in that. And like, that's a pretty funny role. Um, But he does a lot of like smaller things. So I'm kind of curious to see where his career goes from here. Um, I do think that he is leveraging this relationship with um, Ms. Kardashian herself um, in order to keep him top of mind for certain things. I think that he is really trying to stay relevant after leaving SNL because really that's been his kind of bread and butter since he's stepped on the scene. Um, I, I have to admit, I'm a big comedy fan. Um, I really like stand up, and he just doesn't do it for me. I think his punchlines are really predictable. Um, I think he doesn't ever come out with anything like new or edgy. He doesn't really push boundaries. He doesn't piss people off. Um, and I like people who can like find, um, creative ways to make you think. And Pete Davidson has never made me think. Um, I do love that. (laughs) I do love that sketch, um, on SNL of him and Timothy Chalamet being, like rappers <laughs> they're like skeet they're like yeet skirt i think it is um i think that's really funny and i do like some of his like acting roles a little better um but i hope he's not trying to like be a stand up guy cuz i just can't deal with that <laughs> i do wonder how long how much longer this Pete and Kim relationship is going to go for. Um, It seems like they pretty much have stuck to only being photographed on red carpets lately. Um, And he has his own appearances in the Hulu show, which I think also is a PR thing to help his career. Um, But I just, I wonder how long this is going to go for. It's already kind of gone longer than I expected. But what I'm starting to think now because of that is that they're going to purposefully have this relationship last longer than any of his others have so that we, the public, take it seriously, giving them some credibility via longevity is kind of what I expect now. So let's see. I'm going to Google how long his longest relationship has been. I knew somebody would have it. Us Weekly has an article that is his entire dating history. So (laughs) I don't know if any of y'all watched the MTV2 show or shows Girl Code and Guy Code, but a lot of those people that were on that show are now like kind of making their way up in comedy now. For example, there was... um, I love Chris Stefano is one. He's like a New York guy and he's kind of hot. <laughs> and he's just like such a douche. Um, but I love him. He's he's much funnier than Pete Davidson in my opinion. And then Annie Letterman is another one. Um, and then Carly Aquilino, I think is how you say it. Um, 
she was on that show. She actually also dated Chris, Chris Stefano, but she was Pete's like first public, um, first public relationship back in 2015. They like casually dated. Then he dated Cassie David um, for about two years on and off. So it seems like it was maybe a few months with Carly, about two years with Cassie, and then then Ariana Grande happens. Okay. So also, okay, so <laughs> to clarify, the movie I referenced earlier that I called The Setup is actually called Set It Up as this article references it. Um, but just weeks after he started dating Ariana, they got engaged, which is bananas because – I mean, the whole thing lasted only four months. The whole Ariana Grande saga lasted four months. That blows my mind. Then he moves on to, we all remember, Kate Beckinsale, which was so weird. Because, <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't see her with somebody like him. I don't know. That's just me. <laughs> um, but they dated for about three months. Let's see. Margaret Qualley. Um, She's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. They started dating in August of 2019, and they broke up around October. So again, only a few months. Then we had Kaya Gerber, and she was only 18 when they were dating, by the way. And of course, because she was only 18, they were trying to keep kind of a low profile. And then basically when he went back to an inpatient mental health facility, they split up. So it started in November 2019, and they were broken up by January 2020. So again, only a few months. And then look, and then the one that I remember like really shook me, I was like confused by is – and I think I referenced this on a previous episode, but Phoebe Dynavore is her name um, in April of 2021. So about a year ago, uh, they started dating and they were trying to make distance work and all this stuff. Um, but by August, they had split up. So again, only a few months. So it seems like his longest relationship has been with Cassie David for about two years. And so the rest have only been a few months. Kim and Pete have been quote unquote together since October of 2021. So this is already a really long relationship for him. Let's see, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May. It's been seven months. So I think we've probably got like, I think, I think they'll probably try and make it to like the fall Maybe, or, you know, maybe Kim will have a hot girl summer. Who knows? Um, but they're kind of, they're kind of confusing to me, especially after his dating history. I feel like he has like such a clear type and Kim Kardashian does not fit into that mold. Um, he tends to go for like, almost like doe-wide, um, very petite, very like they all look very kind. <laughs> like, 
Like he he usually goes for like the sweet girl is kind of what I'm trying to say. And now he's with this vixen, Kim Kardashian, and it doesn't quite compute to me. So we'll see how long that lasts. I don't know. Back to SNL. Um, I'm really also interested to see what AD Bryant and Kyle Mooney do, but I think each of them both have shows right now. Um, so I'm sure that they'll already be working on those. Kate is Kate McKinnon is in everything all the time. So she's going to be fine. Really the only one that you worry about here is Pete because he's more famous for his dangling than he is for his performance art. Really fast. I just want to go on a quick Bravo rant for a second. Um, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills has debuted. Devin and I talked about it in episode three. Go back and listen. It was really good. Um, But now two more episodes have premiered since we last spoke. And I have some thoughts that I need to get off my chest. Number one, um, I need to talk about Lisa Rinna. Because she confuses me for a few reasons. I do like her. Um, she's very fun, um, but she pisses me off. And I find it very obvious the way that she um, manipulates situations and then tries to like place blame on others. And the other women either just look past it because she is such a good time or they're dumb. <laughs> they don't see it. Um, and I think that she put a lot of that onto Lisa Vanderpump, which is why Vanderpump kind of exited the show. She was kind of cast as the calculated chess player, which of course she is, she's smarter than all of them. So yeah, she did set some things up and whatever, but, um, I think that Rena does the same thing and every cast needs at least one of those. But the thing about Rena that bothers me is that she kind of like, she is that she she gravitates toward people that are not really like widely loved by the audience so that she can be like the fan fave. And then she goes after people that the audience likes. I think she really trolls social media a lot. And I think she gathers intel on who people like and that's who she targets. Um, and I think that's why she's kind of buddied up with Erica and Dorit and Kyle is because people don't like generally love them. Um, <laughs> they're like not widely loved. And so I think she feels like she can be kind of the ringleader and the fan fave. But to me, it's just really sad. I feel like she's just like collecting like wounded toys. On the other hand, you have Garcelle and Sutton, who I relate to them so much. They're very much like me. They say what's on their mind. They're not really like calculated at all. Um, they just say what they're thinking and they have empathy and they listen and they apologize when they need to. Um, but they don't let themselves get like walked all over. And these women cannot stand that kind of dynamic. 
um, particularly Renna. She's like, why are you standing up for yourself? Why are you not cowering to us? She, she really doesn't understand. (laughs) And it's kind of fun to watch, but also I'm just like so sick of these women ganging up on the same few people. I'm over it. Also, what I really don't understand is Erica claiming that all these accusations, like that she's been exonerated completely. I don't understand, A, where she's getting that information, and B, why she expects us to believe it. And who's telling her to say that? Did she just come up with that? And she was like, maybe if I just tell them I've been completely exonerated, they'll believe me. But the thing is, Erica, is that we're not going to. (laughs) Because, like... Everything about this case has already been in the press and there's no way that the media missed that detail. And it actually kind of pisses me off when people do that, when people like when she was kind of rude to the producers and was like, Bravo can do their due diligence and find and like find the resources. It's like it hasn't been published anywhere. (laughs) You know that. You know that. You know they're not going to find anything. Nothing makes me more mad than when on reality television, people act like the audience is stupid. It's like, yes, I know that this is not like quality TV or like any kind of art form, but that doesn't mean that as a viewer that I'm an idiot. (laughs) That's not what that means. So in the next episode, I'm really hoping to do an episode with my husband talking about all of the sports drama going on right now, because there is a lot. I don't know how much all of you keep up with sports, but here's the current tea. Currently, we have NHL and NBA playoffs going on. Baseball has just started. MLB. Um, We're in the NFL offseason. There are drafts going on and everything is kind of like in chaos. That being said, there has been some drama in corners of the sports universe that were previously and famously drama free. For example, this beef going on with Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. Um, Nick Saban is the head coach of the University of Alabama where I went to school, um, our football team. And then Jimbo Fisher is the head coach of Texas A&M's football team. They used to work together. Um, and now they don't. And apparently they don't like each other very much. Um, and Basically, what happened is Nick Saban was talking about how he dislikes the NIL, which basically that means name, image, and likeness. That means that college athletes can get can earn money for um, using their name, image, and likeness. Basically, it's the college football kind of adapting to like the influencer world and allowing these college athletes to profit off of their influential status. That being said, it has caused some issues and Nick Saban was pointing that out. He used Jimbo Fisher's Aggies as an example because (laughs) he was like, they bought every player on their team. 
he didn't mean literally. He didn't mean that they like recruited them with actual money or did anything illegal. He means that um, they have NIL deals and endorsements and partnerships and structures and collectives that like set these athletes up once they get onto campus to make money. So in, in other words, Nick Saban is alleging that a lot of teams, namely the A&M Aggies, are persuading players to come to their school because of how much money they can make with the NIL as opposed to the integrity of the football team. It's important to note that Nick Saban is a 70-year-old grumpy man. <laughs> and I think he was just saying, like, I don't agree with that. I don't and I don't think there's anything wrong with that or what he said. He didn't say anything out of line. And yet Jimbo Fisher comes like rearing his ugly head and he's clearly very pissed off about it. He went on this rant saying that like Saban doesn't do anything right. And that's why he never went back to work for him, even though I'm pretty sure he was probably never asked. (laughs) And I mean, the grand irony of all this is that Nick Saban has won a lot of championships. Um, A lot. (laughs) As a school, I believe Alabama has 17 national championships and something crazy like seven of those are under Nick Saban. Let me see. Okay, six. I was very close. But anyway, at any rate, AM, I think maybe has two, I don't know, back from like the 50s in the I don't even know if it was during the BCS era. I think Jimbo Fisher maybe has one. I think he might have led FSU to beat Auburn um, in 2014. So I think he might have won. But regardless, I don't – and he was like – he was like, Nick Saban is not the star of college football. But it's like, baby, yes, he is. Yeah, he is. He's won more than anyone else. He has produced more NFL players than anyone else. I mean, he loses less than anyone else. I don't know what you want. He's better than you, and you need to get over it. That is how I feel. But when I say that, um, you know, this area is previously drama free, I mean that Texas A&M is like they pride themselves on being very like classy and respectful and friendly. um, And they don't even boo. Uh, They only hiss, which, to be fair, is the same thing. But (laughs) like they're very um, they have a certain like way of behaving. So it was kind of odd to see that side of Jimbo Fisher. But on the other side of that token, we have Nick Saban, who is also famously drama free. (laughs) He doesn't really usually make inflammatory comments. He actually already apologized immediately publicly and tried to reach out to Jimbo. Um, So I think he just kind of had an angry old man moment. But he doesn't usually call people out. So this was kind of a shock to a lot of people. And we've got golf drama. Um, Phil Mickelson, who won the PGA Championship last year, actually withdrew from that same tournament this year and is kind of beefing with the PGA over comments he made about it, basically saying that he wanted to switch over to that Saudi Arabian tour. Um, I guess it's better. I don't understand golf enough to get the 
ins and outs of it. So hopefully my husband will explain that to me next week. That's all I've got for you today, y'all. I hope that everybody stays safe. And um, to anybody who has a connection to Uvalde, Texas, my heart goes out to you. I really can't imagine being in that kind of situation or even being connected to it. And after and after the Buffalo shooting a couple of weeks ago, I know it feels very dark and hopeless, which is why I held on this episode this week. Um, I had to wait to record to kind of get out of the funk. Um, so thank you for your patience. And yeah, follow us on Instagram at the spin cycle pod. Email me at the spin cycle pod at gmail.com and visit our website, thespincyclepodcast.com. Also, if you could leave me a five star review, I would love that more than anything. Bye.